Well, good morning. Welcome to Directional Bible Ministries, the teaching ministry that is called to encourage, disciple, and challenge the people of God. My name is Dwayne Spearman, and uh, we are continuing our study through the book of Acts today. Uh, the last time that we were together, we actually got down in Acts session number 34. We covered uh, chapter number 20 down through 2114. And uh, just remember all of my notes are here on the website, duanespearman.org, or directionalministries.blogspot.com. Also, the audio studies are there as well uh, on SoundCloud. Um, and then also the video studies are there as well uh, on YouTube. So uh, if you want to find out a little bit more about me, uh, I've got a little bit of what I deem to be the essentials and the non-essentials of the faith. So you can check those things out there. Um, today what we're going to do is we're going to pick up where we left off. Uh, we're going to pick up we ended down in verse number 14. But just for a little bit of context, we're going to back up. Bear in mind that Paul is going to Jerusalem. Uh, good morning, brother. God bless you, Matt. Good morning, Scott. Paul is going to Jerusalem. And um, that's where he needed to go. That's where he's been planning to get to. Um, so he's on his way to Jerusalem. And we got down to verse number 14 when he was introduced to um, Agabus. You remember back up in verse number 10. Um, as we was come as, let's see, verse number 10 here. And as we tarried there, many days there came from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. Now, Agabus would not be the first uh, to tell Paul that um, what he was walking into Jerusalem was not going to be uh, a good thing for him. Um, and when he was coming to us, he took Paul's girdle and bound his own hands and his feet and said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost, so shall the Jews of Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this girdle and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. So again, another prophet warning Paul about going to Jerusalem. But like we said, he's not telling uh, Paul anything that he did not already know. Uh, Paul knew fully what he was walking into. Now, some people identify this Agabus with the one mentioned in Acts chapter 11, verse number 28. And there stood up one of them named Agabus and signified by the Spirit that there should be a great dearth throughout all the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. Notice his message was not one of trying to beg him not to go like some of the others before. He was simply telling him uh, what was going to happen to him once he did get there. And obviously, Paul was content with that. In verse number 12, And when, he, when we heard these things, both we and they of that place besought him not to go to Jerusalem. Remember, this is Luke writing in the first person. Uh, and then Paul answered, "What mean ye to weep and break my heart? For I am already, for I am ready not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem, for the name of the Lord Jesus." And when we he would not be persuaded, of course he being Paul, we ceased saying, "The will of the Lord be done." And we talked about how we need to really watch the punctuation there, because <laughs> you could read that if you removed um, the commas 
and when he would not be persuaded, we cease saying the will of the will, the will of the Lord be done. Um, that's not what they were saying there. It's when he would not be persuaded, we ceased begging him not to go and simply said the will of the Lord be done. And then, and after those days, we took up our carriages and we went to Jerusalem. And there went also with us certain of the disciples of Caesarea. Paul made disciples everywhere that he went and brought with them uh, one Nason of Cyprus, an old disciple with whom we should lodge. And when we were come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. So Paul finally arrives in Jerusalem where prophetically uh, everything is going to go bad. <laughs> um, notice the word carriages. We, we, um, when we were come, let's see, in, in verse, uh, where does he talk about his carriages here? It just kind of is, and after those days we took up our carriages. Um, only the King James translates that that way. Um, and verse number 15, the New, New, New American, and after those days we got ready and started on our way to Jerusalem. Uh, but if you look up the word carriages, it just means baggage. In other words, we packed up our stuff, uh, we, we, we grabbed our baggage, if you will, and, um, and then some of the other disciples of Caesarea came along with us, including Nason of Cyprus, um, a disciple of long standing with whom we were to lodge. So apparently he had a home there or a place for them to stay once they arrived in Jerusalem. Excuse me, and when we come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. Well, uh, so far so good. Um, we know that's not going to last very long. And now, the following day, Paul went in with us to James and all the elders were present. Of course, this is James from the Jerusalem Council, Acts chapter number 15, the brother, half-brother of Jesus, the author of the book of James, um, widely believed to be the pastor there at the church in Jerusalem. And after he had greeted them, he began to relate one by one the things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And of course, he, in this verse, is referring to Paul. So after Paul greeted them, that would be James and all the elders, um, he began to tell them one by one, listing the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. Uh, now, this is where you need to get your thinking caps on, because we, we tend to, I read over this for years. Now, Paul is giving an update to James and the elders who are present in regards to what God is doing among the Gentiles with Paul's grace ministry, of course. Um, remember that they had already approved Paul's message back in Acts chapter number 15. In Acts chapter number 15, they, they recognized that Paul had a distinctive uh, ministry, a distinctive gospel. And James and Peter and those guys said, we will take our gospel to the circumcision, and you take yours to the uncircumcision. So, um, obviously, Paul is not reporting on anything in regards to the Jews, because that's the same thing that James and and the others are doing, the church in Jerusalem are doing. Instead, he's reporting on what God 
is doing among the Gentiles with his gospel to the uncircumcision. Um, and you remember in Galatians 2.6, but from those, Paul, of course, Galatians gives more light on what happened in Jerusalem at the council in Acts 15. But from those who were of high reputation, of course, he's referring to the 12, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Well, those who were reputation contributed nothing to me. In other words, um, at the council in Jerusalem, the 12 didn't give anything to Paul by way of the grace gospel that he had received, the the mystery, the, the hidden mystery that was revealed to Paul. They didn't give anything, had anything to it. Um, so again, Paul's reporting on what God is doing among the Gentiles, which was why he was sent out of the Jerusalem council. And when they heard it, they began glorifying God. And they said to him, you see, brother, I'm reading NAS. I can always tell when it's modern English. And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord and said unto him, thou seest, brother, how many thousands of Jews there are which believe, and they are zealous over the law. Now, this is a very interesting verse in that it records their response to Paul's report. So it's their response about what God is doing in Jerusalem as compared to Paul's story. Uh, response about what God's doing among the Gentiles. So it's very interesting, and that does record their response to Paul's update about what God is doing specifically among the Gentiles. In response, they say that God is also working among the Jews who are believing and are zealous of the law. Okay, this verse alone demonstrates that there is an overlap of kingdom and grace gospels, of the gospel of the kingdom and the Pauline gospel. If there is only one gospel at this point, there would have been no reason to celebrate because these Jews are still zealous of the law. They are zealous of the law. So as the Gentiles are responding to the grace gospel, so too the Jews are responding to the kingdom gospel that they are preaching there in Jerusalem, and they are zealous of the law. So again, there would be no reason to celebrate if if Paul and the and and the twelve are not teaching two different gospels. Again, we are in a time of overlap here. Paul is celebrating the grace gospel among the Gentiles. They are celebrating the kingdom gospel among the Jews. And then notice in verse 21, and they are informed of thee. Who's they? All of these believing Jews that are embracing the kingdom gospel, they are informed of thee that thou teachest all the Jews which are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children, neither to walk after the customs. Again, this is more verses clearly indicating that Paul was teaching a different gospel that did not require law-keeping. Because these, uh, these new believing Jews here, they have been told 
that Paul is no longer, that Paul is teaching the Jews to forsake Moses. And he's teaching the Jews that they ought not to be circumcised. And he's teaching the Jews that their children should not walk after their customs. What is it therefore? The multitude must needs to come together, for they will hear that thou art come. The very posturing of the question, and they are informed of thee, indicates that they do not, they being the ones that are talking here, do not believe that Paul was actually doing these things. So the pronoun here, they, versus we. They don't say, and we are informed of thee, because they knew very well what Paul was teaching because they were at the Jerusalem council. They knew that he was preaching the grace gospel to the Gentiles. But they, the ones that were not at the Jerusalem council, they have been told that you're teaching the Jews Now, notice the Jews. They don't care what he's teaching the Gentiles. They're saying, you're teaching the Jews that they need to forsake the law of Moses. You're teaching the Jews that they shouldn't circumcise their children or walk according to their customs. What is it, therefore? The multitude must needs come together, for they're going to hear that you were here. Okay, And, of course, they here um, want to hear it from Paul himself. Now notice in verse 20, 23, Do therefore this what we say to thee. We have four men which have a vow on them. So now they're coming up with a plan to demonstrate to they, the believing Jews that have heard erroneously that Paul is teaching the other Jews to forsake Moses and not circumcise their children nor walk in their customs, He's, they're saying, we have a plan here. We want you to yoke up with four guys that have a vow on themselves. In other words, just like the vow you have on yourself, take them and purify yourself with them and be at charges with them that they may shave their heads and all may know that those things whereof they were informed concerning thee are nothing but that thou thyself also walkest orderly and, look, keepest the law. So now they're going to initiate a plan that will demonstrate to the questioning Jews that Paul had not forsaken Moses nor the law. Okay, now remember, he has been trying to get back to Jerusalem to do what? To fulfill the vow that he had taken which we believe to be a Nazarite vow. Remember in Acts 18, 18, And Paul, after this, tarried there yet a good while, and then took his leave of the brethren and sailed thence to Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila, having shorn his head in Sincrea, for he had a vow. So now he's in Jerusalem. These Jews are questioning him as to whether or not he's forsaken the law of Moses, by telling people they don't have to circumcise their children or walk in their customs. And now the folks here in Jerusalem says, hey, we got a plan. We've got four guys here that are going to cut their hair too. They're going to take the vow, okay, so that you can demonstrate to the Jews, they, here in Jerusalem, that you have not uh, forsaken the law, that you walk orderly and you keep the law. 
Okay, this was a photo op of sorts. Uh, the fact that Paul went through with this was proof that he did not believe that the nation was no longer under the law. The very fact that he went through with it means he did know that the nation of Israel was still under the law. Are you tracking this? Because God knows I didn't track it for years. Um, he's clearly demonstrating to them by keeping this vow that the nation is still under the law. It's a photo op that's going on here. As touching the Gentiles which believe, we have written and concluded that they observe no such thing, save only that they keep themselves from things offered to idols and from blood and from strangled and from fornication. What the, they're, they're flashing back to the Jerusalem council in Acts chapter number 15. Again, this verse proves that Paul was teaching another gospel to the Gentiles that did not require a keeping of the law. They are making a reference to the conclusion of the Jerusalem Council, Acts 15. For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things that ye abstain from meats offered to idols, from blood and from things strangled and from fornication, from which if ye keep yourselves, ye will do well. Fare ye well. The more I study the more confused I am that most of the church reject this, that most of the church believes there's only one gospel. There's not one gospel. Uh, it is clear, and it gets clearer to me every day without hesitation. Um, now, try as I may, I try to question the assumptions. I have a very questioning uh, personality, but when I first began this journey over a year ago, um, I first it began with questioning the assumption that the church was born in Acts chapter 2. And of course, that led to other questions that needed to be answered, other questions that I just thought, this is the end of the road. This is where I'm going to find out this, that this whole mid-Acts this um, this um, uh, this um, view of the birth of the the body of Christ is is bankrupt. It's bust. This is this is it. And then I studied that and I said, no, that that, that makes sense, you know. And and then of course I answered that question. I get another question, and, and I'm thinking, well, this is it. This is where it's going to fall apart right here. And I'm going to go back to the old Acts two deal. It hasn't. It hasn't fallen apart yet. Uh, matter of fact, it's got to the point now when I see a question, I'm assuming that I, I just misunder that I just don't see it clearly right now. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I'm just becoming thoroughly, thoroughly convinced um, that um, mid-act dispensationalism. Um, and to me, I mean, it just I mean, all of the unknowns, all of the the doctrinal division, all of the de denominational Divisions come from a misunderstanding, a misinterpretation of what God was doing on the day of Pentecost. Every bit of it. I mean, I, I know that sounds pretty simple, uh, but it is. Um, you go talk to the to the covenant theologians. If you can just show them that God's not through with Israel 
and they're not Israel, <laughs> and that Pentecost has nothing to do with them, that the new covenant is, has nothing to do with them. They haven't replaced Israel. Again, it all comes down to Acts 2. I mean, you go to um, those who, who you know, believe, you know, the gifts are for today, the, the hyper-Pentecostals, and you show them what's going on in Acts chapter 2, and you show them that this had nothing to do with the body of Christ, which wasn't born until Paul uh, later. Um, it, it clarifies that, too. You read Hebrew epistles and you start trying to fit the church in there when and you stop trying to fit the church in there and just read it for what it says. They're not talking to the church. They are talking to the nation of Israel, who is still very much under the law, who are st still very much uh, keeping the law of Moses and circumcising their children and walking in the customs, uh, who are very much thinking that they are are either in or going into the tribulation that's going to result in the rise of the Antichrist and the second coming and the establishment of the kingdom. If you realize that that was in the mindset of those who wrote those Hebrew epistles, it will make interpretation <laughs> of, the, of those books remarkably uh, simpler. So... But anyway, uh, that's all I've got for today. As you can see, I'm out of notes. Um, I'm studying just like you're studying and uh, working my way through this book. Um, already working on notes for tomorrow, but uh, that's all I've got. Um, but anyway, um, God bless you guys. Good to see you. Uh, Scott, God bless you, Brother Mac. Hope you're both doing well. Um, and... Uh, and I'll be with you tomorrow morning, 6.30 a.m., Lord willing. God bless you guys.